Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Tea Podcast by Developing Lafayette. My name is Ben Powers. I'm your host. And what we like to do with this podcast is we like to invite different business owners, different community influencers in Lafayette Parish that really highlight Lafayette Parish and what we're all about. Today we have a great episode. We got Gus Rosende here, and he is uh, pretty well known uh, around the city, especially in downtown Lafayette. So we're going to be talking with him about some of the things that we got going on, or he's got going on. And uh, but first, I definitely want to make sure that we mention our sponsor. They're the Music Academy of Acadiana. Uh, they are Acadiana's top choice for music lessons and piano, guitar, all those fun things audio production, all that good stuff. They're right here in locally founded uh, company from uh, from Tim Benson, who's a University of Louisiana Lafayette Music School graduate. He founded the company because he's a musician himself and wants to teach kids and adults how to play music. And if they're not even interested in it, uh, or if you're remotely interested in it, you can uh, learn pretty easily through their, their company. They're right off of Ambassador uh, between Sam's and Walmart. You know that uh, that one commercial between Sands and Walmart. Uh, anyway, uh, they've been, uh, they've gotten several national music school awards. Uh, they've been, uh, the best music school by readers of the times of Acadiana since 2016. So they are no joke. Uh, they got around 500 students, uh, in rotation right now going in and out of their facilities throughout the month. So it's a great, great school. Uh, their goal is to make music lessons fun, educational, and to help foster the next generation of musicians and creative thinkers. You can find them on their website, musicacademyacadiana.com, and then you can find it on your screen as well. You can see the website. You can go to their Facebook page, just type in Music Academy of Acadiana, their Instagram, Twitter, I think they have a LinkedIn, uh, all those other social media networks. But uh, yeah, check them out. We're really grateful for them, and they they have renewed to continue to sponsor the podcast for another year. So super grateful for them. And uh, yeah, so Tim, thank you. All right, Gus, uh, thank you for coming on. Welcome, Dan. How are you, man? Yeah, man, pretty good, pretty good. Just thanks uh, for having me, man. Yeah, sure. It's just trying to trying to stay dry. Um, yeah, so so I wanna I just wanna kind of dive in a little bit to kind of get to know more about who you are and how you got to where you are because you're not originally from the U.S. Correct. I don't know if anybody. I mean, you 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 speak very well English. Like I mean, it it sounds like it's your first language. Uh, I, I detect a slight accent. Cajun but. Brazilian. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing and kind of what led to you coming to the United States and Lafayette of all places. Uh, long story short, uh, born and raised in Sao Paulo, Brazil, big city, uh, city guy, uh, grew up, uh, you know, in a high, high rise, you know, we're a working family back home, middle-class family. And, uh, dad is an engineer. Mom was a nurse. I have a sister. Uh, which is an architect today, Mary in Brazil. Whole family still back home, uh, everyone. And uh, grew up in Brazil. Uh, got start started with soccer, like every Brazilian does <laughs> as a kid. You know, eight years old, playing soccer. Quickly realized there were so many more Brazilians way better than me. And my dad picked up tennis in his middle age years with some coworkers. They threw me on the backcourt and said, "Look, while we take our private lessons." You know, go hit some balls against the wall. A few months later, he's like, "Well, this kid is hitting balls like crazy. 
that's when my tennis career began at nine years old and I played all the way through professional tennis and into um, travel my entire junior years uh, around South America playing and uh, I was a decent player uh, got to a level where I was uh, we had sponsors and we had playing academies and represent our high schools and all that and at that time being from uh, you know a country like Brazil you look up to United States uh, collegiate sports is huge and uh, I was recruited to come play college tennis full scholarship to uh, play for Georgia Southwestern which at that time was a small business school outside Atlanta well outside Atlanta I was told it was three hours south of Atlanta <laughs> and I lived in America's Georgia little bitty town I think 20,000 students 20,000 population 3,000 students in school it was a really good business school and we played I played college tennis for five years had a great um, experience and from there throughout my college years I worked you know I, I, I didn't have the money to be able to go home in the summertime and uh, in one of my trips to New York City my very first summer right before 2001 September 11th oh, wow. I was there in New York uh, with college you know working for a summer camp and I met a couple guys uh, from Lafayette one specifically was Chad Bear, which at that time he was uh, uh, head professional tennis coach at Troy University, but he was a Lafayette native and he's like, you got to come back next summer. Don't go to New York. Come to Lafayette. <laughs> We're building tennis courts at City Club. Come teach tennis here instead of going to New York. So the following summer, I went back to college. You know, obviously September 11th happened was kind of changed everybody's life. Right. And, but and it was it was an easy pivot for us. We're like, we're going to pay you better. Come to South Louisiana. Don't go to New York where you make good money, but you spend it all. And as a, as a young guy, I was like, right, I'll go to South Louisiana. And the people in Lafayette welcomed me. And uh, I spent the first summer in members' houses, almost like a college gig, you know, and start building a book of business and getting to know people and teaching tennis full-time in the summers. Came back in the following summer. And then in 2004, basically got offered the opportunity to come and work full-time at City Club. At that point, Camellia was built, and you know, I kept coming back every year. It was bigger and bigger, and I made a lot of friends and a lot of good business connections. And when you when you teach tennis in a prominent uh, club, you get to know people, you get to make relationships, and uh, I was very fortunate that Robert and Rodney and River Ranch took me in and helped me, um, you know, not just through my work visas and my ability to stay legal in this country, but give me opportunities for me to grow. Um, and that's kind of how it happened. So that's how I ended up in America. So good grief. 20, that is, 20 plus years later, I'm is, still here, married, and you know, yeah. I'm a citizen now. So that is quite the, yeah. quite the journey. Uh, okay. So there's a lot to unpack there and I want to try to not linger on too much, but was, so you guys started in tennis in Brazil. Tennis right. was not a prominent sport there, Ten though, right? Tennis was never prominent until 1997 when another Gus, Gus Kirton, which is called Guga Kirton, won the French Open in 97. And then a subset, uh, I think he ended up winning two more times. And tennis okay. became a huge thing, which people still ask me, are you called Gus because of that guy? I said, no, <laughs> that guy was born in 1978. I was born in 80. Uh, we're two years apart, but right. that name, Gustavo Gus, became a big name because he's one of, like, he's a legend in my country today. Uh, but tennis was, you know, for the, the, the people with uh, money. You know, my family had to really give up everything we had just to take care. You know, they saw my talent and they, uh, they invested. You know, my sister had to 
give up some things in her young years uh, to travel with me. My mom and dad basically focused their entire, you know, uh, 10 years from the time I was nine until 17 before I left. Basically, financially, timing, it was all Gus. Uh, you know, it's a pretty demanding sport. And because we didn't have the income, you know, everything we had to do was very uh, focused. So, but, but we paid off, you know, we got a full ride. We were able to come to the States, learn a new language and build a life here. So it was worth it. Yeah. So that, that's, that's crazy. So you kind of owe to tennis to you getting to the United States. Without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. Tennis, tennis is what, you know, as, as, you know, as unfortunate, I guess, looking back, I don't think much about it anymore. I don't play much. I mean, I put on several pounds eating a ton of pizzas over the years. (laughs) But, uh, you know, with my two little boys, I hope there is some sort of resurgence where I play more. But I I did get burned out, you know, got to understand, you know, I graduated in college and I went straight to teaching tennis in South Louisiana, 100 degrees for seven years in a row. Humidity, And I I just knew that was going to be tough. I I give a lot of credit to the professionals out there that just work, you know, their careers, 20, 30 years, especially in South Louisiana. It's a pretty brutal weather. And, uh, but, you know, I loved it, but I got burned out and hopefully I'll come back (laughs) as I get older, I'll come back and play a little more, but I don't play much as much as I, I would like to. When's the last time you like really seriously played tennis or even taught it? Last time, I think the, the, the last tennis lesson I've given, you know, I, it was because I got into business and because I didn't know what the future, you know, I knew that I did not want to be on the tennis courts forever. And I was, I've always had a knack for starting things or yeah. organizing events or, or trying to find a way to make a business work. And I, I just didn't know, you know, and at one point, uh, as I start getting into business opportunities, tennis start becoming less and less. So I think my last tennis lesson, probably 2010. Okay. So about a little over 10 years ago was the last time I really got compensated for, you know, I still have friends that ask, hey, let, why don't you teach and all that? And uh, But, I, you know, I take a lot of lessons from those years, you know, uh, teaching anywhere from, you know, adults or to kids that just want to recreationally play I, I did teach a lot of kids that were very good players we travel you know so all levels you know so it, it gets to to teach you how to yeah. deal with people and how to deal with certain situations so but probably 10 plus years ago was my last official lesson and then from there I start moving uh, into getting into more businesses yeah. and getting more involved in what I do today so. okay so so 2010 was about the last time at what point did you call Lafayette like your home? Like, when was the time where like you moved here, you settled here, essentially? Yeah, I so first summer uh, 2002, second summer 2003, moved in May of 2004 full time. My dad at that time, um, I grad my whole family came for graduation in in May. Uh, my mom and sister went back home. We drove to Mobile. I played my last tennis tournament, representing the school after graduating. Uh, the national uh, tournament, and then my dad drove me to. Uh, I had a, I had a 1989 Nissan Maxima with 300,000 miles, man. Wow! And I, and I drove it. I bought it with 200,000 plus, for I think a thousand bucks. And I, and then my dad and I packed the car from America, went to Mobile, played the tournament, and then we drove to Lafayette, and um, uh, we ran it. Uh, we did a month to month at the Grove Plantation right there behind where Viva La Waffle is yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. all places. And it was a KFC. And my dad paid my first month's rent, uh, went back home, and uh, I started working full time at City Club River Ranch in June of 2004. 
Okay. And that was it. Yeah. Know, so. so, so working at City Club, you said you made some of the connections. You said you you, uh, you mentioned Robert and uh, Rodney, right? Correct. Robert and Rodney, they were the ones that were heavily involved in building that development. Robert, more specifically. Um, Robert Daigle? Robert yep. Daigle. Uh, him and I had a, obviously a, a more private relationship because I became his son's full-time coach. Okay. Because his son, obviously Jordan today, a developer in town graduated and was one of the top tennis players in the nation, played for Virginia, played for LSU. So it was already kind of a connection that we built. And uh, But the interesting thing is that guys like Robert knew that, you know, my days on the court were counted and they, he knew that. So opportun- as opportunities came up, um, uh, I always kept bugging him. It's like, you know, I, I don't need to leave the courts yet, but I, I'm ready for something different, you know. And um, so... They were very pivotal to help me, uh, you know, and also the, the legality part, you know, being a foreigner, people, there's a lot of misconceptions about immigration and how mm-hmm. you stay legal. And so you got to have companies that are willing to sponsor you, uh, you know, and, and so they didn't have to do those things. They care. They care for me. They help. Uh, obviously, not just them, but the entire team. And, you know, year after year, I had to change my visas and all that. So yeah. I have a lot, a lot of respect for those guys. I still do a lot of work with them. And, uh, but that's kind of how you guys started, you know, and then guys like Ashley and Chad, they were my direct bosses at that time. They really took care of us. And, you know, um, I made Lafayette home instantaneously. And when I moved full time, I already had a pretty good foundation, you know, um, never thought things would end up the way they are today, but I had a feeling that I was going to be here for a while, you know, regardless of what was going to happen. You know, I felt really good. I mean, it's very Brazilian like, you know, it's food, weather, people, having fun, you know, it's a heavy Catholic based yeah, you know, I mean, area, just like Brazilians are, you know, 90% Catholic. So there's like that cultural, that, you know, the, 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 the way we hug and the way we talk and the way we hang out, I mean, it's very similar to Brazil. So South Louisiana was, it was a great, you no, know, after living in South Georgia and living in New York um, and traveling all over playing tournaments, um, it's home, you know, it's, it feels great. People, I mean, did you have Pretty a particular city in mind before moving to the U.S. that you thought, oh yeah, this is the city that I want to be in? Like, well, I mean, you know, I was a I was a good player, so my dream was to play for the top SEC schools, right? Yeah. So Kentucky at that time, you know, Lexington, and then Georgia, Athens, those were massive schools that I possibly could play for them, but my SAT scores were so low, I, I couldn't speak zero English when I came to America. Really? My first, my freshman year in college. I literally spoke no English. I understood a little bit. I could write a little bit. So, you know, my advisors in my freshman my freshman year had to really get the classes that I could get away. You know, uh, geology, rocks, right, minerals. You know, like or, <laughs> or or you know, definitely classes where I didn't have to write full essays. You know, to be able to get through the All first right. year. But uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, man, it's been uh, it's been quite an interesting you know looking back now that I'm 40s it's it's being interesting being here for you know most of my life I've been in the United States now yeah so I've been more in the United States than my native country Brazil so <laughs> but what's uh, crazy is yeah. you've only been a U.S. citizen like an official U.S. citizen Correct. just for less than five years yeah because I, I think it really goes to show how how broken the the immigration system really is you know um, and I have no I have no qualms in sharing, you know, kind of just how tough it was for me. You know, um, every country has different deals with the United States. So immigration is not as 
clean as you know it works for everyone you know a country may have different deals with the United States you know when it comes to uh, how accessible visas are but for me as a Brazilian you know I came as, a, as an athlete then I became a student so I, I, I went through the processes of getting visas that I needed it um, graduated from college they gave me a one-year optional visa for me to go find something within my profession and at that time I had a marketing degree so Tennis was one option, but also River Ranch opened the doors for me to put on events. That's when the Rhythms on the Rivers of the, at that time when we did tennis tournaments, which allowed me to be able to work in marketing and justify my reason to being a city club. Um, and that's how, how kind of events happen, you know, about, you know, 15 years ago, I started putting events on. I had a knack for it, but it was also out, out of a need, you know, to be able yeah. to stay legal. <clears throat> So visas come and go, and it comes to a point where it doesn't matter how successful I was or perceived or how much money you make or don't make. It doesn't matter. What it, what it mattered was that I ran through all my visas. I wasn't married. Uh, I wasn't really dating somebody uh, to a level where I was ready to get married. And my attorney, my immigration attorney in New Orleans says, you have two options. You can, if you have okay. a half a million dollars in cash, you can invest in a government program and the government will give you a, an investment visa. Okay. Or you can get married. <laughs> you know? And you were not dating anybody, And right? I, I wasn't really you know, ready for that. You know? So for me, it was kind of this very interesting time where for a while I kind of got a little out of status, you know, and then I had to figure out my way. But at that time, I'm already a business owner. I'm already employing, at that time, over 100 Americans. And it was just a very bizarre time in my life where... I felt like I was accomplishing things, but I ran against, I hit a wall where there were no more available visas yeah. uh, for me to even, you know, becoming a citizen wasn't even a thought at that time because I was just trying to stay legal in this country. So for, for a good little time, I go out of status where my visas expires. I'm not, I'm not illegal, but I'm out of status, which means if at any given time I leave the United States, I cannot come back in. Oh, so wow. that was a very hard time for me because my parents were getting older and my sister was trying to get married. My, my, you know, I, and you had businesses. I had businesses. That was going to be tough. And the thing is, if anything would have happened in that one year period, where as I was trying to figure out what direction I was going to go, if anything would have happened back home and I had to go, it was with the guarantee that I could not come back in because I had no visas to come back in. So, so it was a tough time. And uh, uh, fast forward, you know, uh, fast forward a little time. I was I was dating, and uh, you know, and Catherine and I, obviously, my wife were together for 10 years now. She's American? American okay. from Monroe, Louisiana. Monroe, all right. She was, uh, she was going to school, college, um, and uh, I was friends with her brother. And basically, uh, we've been dating for a few years at that time, and, and I was able to, at that time, say, you know, I think this is what we want to do. And she was super supportive. Uh, she basically um, helped me be able to get my green card. Once again, I'm not even talking about citizenship at this point. <laughs> I'm talking about my ability to be able to become a permanent resident. Yeah. Um, after 16 years in this country and all the things I've done and all the things I've been able to accomplish, I was still in a position where you have no more options unless you do these things. Um, so it comes down to us getting married uh, and then everything kind of settles. Um, and then from there, after getting married, now that you have a green card, right, which is they call a permanent residency now, they base that that allow me to for the path of citizenship because okay. now that you have a green card is your permanent resident, uh, 
So you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of foreigners they choose to just stick with that. They don't want to be a citizen, right? It might be, so they can still go back to their country. They're still technically a citizen of their home country. Yeah, I'm, I'm still a citizen of my home country okay, too. I have gotcha. dual citizenship. Okay. So does my kids. My kids were born in America, but my kids have a Brazilian oh, that's passports. Awesome. That's awesome. So you know, we go to Brazil. We 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 enter as Brazilians. We come to America. We enter as, as Americans. It's a it's a pretty neat feeling. Yeah, that's you know? great. Uh, but um, yeah, so. Uh, that's been the road. So as I got my, my green card, um, that allowed me to start, okay, do I want to be a, a citizen? Because what is interesting about it is that you don't have to be a citizen. Right, okay. For you to be legal in this country forever, you can just get a green card, which is your permanent residency. You can still be a citizen of Brazil, but you can still live in America, pay your taxes, and but you don't have the rights to vote. You don't have the rights to be a citizen. But you still have to pay taxes. Just like everybody. Okay, Which, gotcha. by the way, people thought that when I became a citizen, a lot of people was like, well, now you got to pay taxes like us. I was oh, like, well, Lord. I've been paying the <laughs> exact same taxes from the moment I got my first W-2 just, or 1099, just like everybody else. But Yeah, so but, under a visa, you probably still had to pay taxes, right? Just like everybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I still have a social security number, and it's, okay. it's the same thing. Yeah. Nothing changes. You know, you, there, you know, Unless you are illegally living in this country without a social, then I'm sure it's a, another level of... So you know, what changed... By coming a, an official U.S. citizen, what was there any significant change or just having the, the label? Um, well, I mean, I, I never thought about being a citizen when I came here. You know, we we, we grow up in Brazil without really that, that civic sense of responsibility. You know, and then I went to Georgia, didn't really feel like people are like, oh, we need to be community. You know, we're civic. You know, I mean, and maybe I was too green at that time, right? I'm not blaming the city. Then you go to New York. The feeling of community is pretty tough there at times, yeah, right? right? So and then right. I come to Louisiana, and then I'm working at a city club. Then I'm getting to know downtown. Then I'm getting to know other parts of town, and I start meeting people, and realizing how much people care about this town, and it just kind of clicked, you know, where I, I start. I was like, for me to be successful here, I need to be able to give back because that's the only reason why I end up here. You know, people people help me for me to get here. So it was more of a, it was super subconscious, like natural, you know. Yeah. So as I get passionate about helping the city because I'm succeeding, everybody's growing. It was kind of this mutual thing, uh, and I become I get my green card. I was like it was a no-brainer. Now I'm having kids. So I'm like a no-brainer. I want to be an American citizen. I want to vote. You know, I'm okay. I'm standing up for all so these ideas, vote. and I'm all and I, I'm involved. You know, we're having, you know, congressmen coming to do fundraisers in our bar. Right. You know, and I'm asking questions about what they think, but I cannot vote, you know. So to me, it was kind of, of a thing that naturally came. Yeah. And I can then, see uh, how that'd be important to be able to like, because if you're you're involved in the community, you have a business yeah. in the community, and if you have politicians or anything that you agree with or if you're friends with and like you want to show your support, you wouldn't, you were not able to at the time. And so yeah, now yeah, you're it was, to do it was, that. it was interesting. You know, it, it felt like, it felt like I was not doing my part. You know, if it, it felt like I was the old Brazilian, the cynicism of nothing works in Brazil, politics, corruption. Right. So my, my family as, as great parents as they were, there was never a push for, you know, voting is important and being civically oriented is important. It was just not part of what we grew up. We grew up in a city with 16 million people. It was, Everybody was for themselves, you know, like just take care of our families, you know. Things were crazy yeah. you know, growing up. So yeah. I come here and not just downtown, but everywhere you go in the city, you know, Youngsville, Karen Crow. I mean, everybody has their thing. Everybody's so passionate. And I'm sure it happens in other towns. 
yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was amazing to me. You know, I never experienced it. So I feel like I feel like natural. You know, er, throughout the United States, there are pockets of areas where the community is really tight knit. Correct. Now, like in big cities like New York, it's it's kind of tough to for the whole city to be community. Absolutely. You yeah. probably you have your pockets inside the boroughs and all that stuff that yeah. have community, but. Uh, you know, a lot of people, whenever I interview them and ask them about why Lafayette, they said they always mention the people in the community, just something different. Yeah. And I mean, I've interviewed people who are super liberal, super progressive. Correct. That have lived in New York, lived in Seattle, Washington, but for some reason ended up here. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Like, I'm a, I'm a conservative person, but I'm like, what what made you want to be? Yeah, for me, it had nothing to do with political Yeah, affiliation. oh, I know. I yeah, can tell To that. me, it was, you know, I've, I've come from a very moderate family. Um, I don't even think they'll... I don't even think there is such a title for my mom and dad. I don't even know what they are, to be honest, today, because they voted for everybody that yeah. they thought was good back home, which for somebody to be good back home, I don't <laughs> think there's such a thing because politicians back in Brazil is a nightmare. But, uh, you know, uh, to me, it was just really the, 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 the maturity and the time spent and getting to know different parts of this town where, you know, remember, working in a city club, I got to know the south side of town really well. I lived here. Then I, you know, I moved to Youngsville when Sugar Mill Pond was getting started because I was helping part of that. So I got to know those people. Katrina happens. I get to know a lot of people from New Orleans that moved over to these neighborhoods. You know, and then you get to know the mayors and what they're up to. And you know, and then we move downtown. We get to know more of the north side of town, Karen Crow. So it just kind of organically, all these things have happened to us, uh, to our group of investors or you know our partners and everybody's kind of the same you know i'm not the only one i mean my partners are super engaged naturally in their own ways too you know right. um, all the guys that were in business downtown or south side of town i mean pretty much it's kind of got the same mentality and it wasn't kind of a force thing it just happened you know so yeah all right so i want to go back to the the two, the early 2010 area uh that's whenever i moved to lafayette um i moved to lafayette to do graphic design a uh, couple of years doing that, and then um, we went started working at golf balls. But um, at what point did you like, ha- I, well, like start your businesses? Like, what was your first business, and how did you get to the businesses that you're in now? Because you you're you're partners with uh, you're in Central Pizza, Tula Tacos, uh, Viva La Waffle, correct? Viva La Waffle. I'm a I'm a I'm a property owner. I mean, I'm the gotcha. I, I own the, the building, but uh, Colin Cormier and his yep. team they are they are the Viva La Waffle, gotcha. and they're going to be taking because he started out as food truck. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that was an early 2010s area. So correct. So I what? used to have Dick's Daiquiris for 10 years. Ah, gotcha. At that location, I was. Um, uh, me and my partners at the time were just leasing the property, and with this whole COVID thing, things um, things kind of turned, and we were yep. able to take control over the property. And at that time, we we felt that Dix was ready. You no, know, we're ready to move on from that specific concept. And Viva came in; it was a perfect timing, and uh, uh, they have an amazing brand. So yeah. So what uh, was your what was your business that kind of kicked off your your business uh, <clears throat> presence in Lafayette? Yeah. So two thousand. I mean. I don't know if it was a presence, but it was my first business. Uh, uh, I was you know, full-time teaching and running tournaments and, and, and getting into the events, event world. And, um, you know, like I said, teaching Robert, teaching his son, teaching other business owners in the style. And I was speaking their brain, and, you know, and uh, a janitorial company was the first business that we, uh, we got started. As a matter of fact, the company still exists today. Uh, it's called H&R, Professional Cleaning Services, which is A-Bear, Resended. Uh, the way it happened was Chad A-Bear, the guy that recruited me from New York, 
He was a tennis pro as well. He was the tennis director at that time. And him and I said, well, let's start a business. Long story short, we opened H&R. Why? Because there was a need for commercial cleaning spaces in the River Ranch development because they were building the Anna Ben Law Firm. They were building buildings. And at that time, maybe there wasn't enough companies in town. And Robert, always with an entrepreneur eye, he was like, do you want to do pest control? I said, no. <laughs> do you want to clean? I was like, yeah, I don't mind cleaning. You know, I don't mind starting something from scratch. Uh, I lived in River Ranch. I had a little condo. I was teaching tennis. And at night, we would go, if we had employees or not, maybe ourselves, we'd go clean the Anabane Law Firm every night. For you know, We had a contract. And that's really how the company started. We got a one annual contract from River Ranch to, or from Anabane. I don't remember the contract, but we were the janitorial company for the firm, for the building, right? Okay. Every night, five days a week, we'll go there. <clears throat> so a lot of toilets clean, you know, a lot of... Uh, uh, and then we start building the company and we start doing post-construction cleanups, which at that point, that Lafayette was booming with construction. Mm-hmm. So we would do the, the cleaning for the contractor right before the, the owner took over the house. And then Katrina hits. And when Katrina hits, our company goes from one little truck, one pressure washer, because there was a huge influx of people buying houses that year, I believe 2005. Ah, 2005, yeah. So this and, is way before our, 2010. I was, te- yeah. I was teaching. Yeah, I was still, like I said, you know, my, 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 I guess for lack of a better word, my entrepreneur career began as I was still keeping a job, working full time, trying to, you know, pay my bills to be yeah. able to, I still needed to work. And I started having side businesses. But H&R was the first experience with really running a company, having a manager, having employees and having everything, you know, doing the books and, and Chad kind of really took the lead. He was older than me and. Turns out Katrina comes and we grow tremendously because we got way more business. And uh, a few years later, I decide to part ways, sell my shares, move on. And today, Chad also sold his shares years ago to the manager that we had. And today she cleans all my restaurants. Oh, that's awesome. And she calls the company the same name, (laughs) H&R. Why change it? Yeah, why change it? So it's very interesting. Eliana, great lady. her and her husband have built, you know, have kept up the company. So That's we still awesome. use them for janitorial. They clean our businesses monthly. So it's exciting. So that that was how it started. And okay. then quickly, as we are, I'm getting out of that, um, Robert and I, I'm, I'm teaching Robert a tennis lesson. And he mentions to me, we need a, you know, smoothies. You know, smoothies came ah, out. You know, people are gotcha. talking about smoothies, you know. <laughs> and back in 2008, nine, that's when uh, the discussion started. And the intent, the development wanted to put a Smoothie King or whatever. The, the They wanted to have a, 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 a concept. Smoothie place, yeah. Turns out that they were going to Destin and uh, they you know, they, they used to spend a lot of time there. And there was a tropical smoothie concept okay. that started there. The the, okay. the, 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 friend, the the owner of the company today is owned by um, a capital venture company out of Atlanta. But Eric at that time started there. So he's like, do you want to? be a managing partner of we're going to put one here in the square river ranch where poor used to be and i said i know nothing about restaurants i i'll send me to training <laughs> so they sent me to training for two weeks and i start i continue to teach tennis and being the full-time general manager managing partner uh, of that specific location okay so so you got started in, in the restaurant industry at tropical smoothie and you're right. still heavily involved in tropical yeah, smoothie and, like and, that. and that was a complete you know, uh, luck, I would say, or, or, or just, you know, 
basically we run tropical smoothie river ranch nobody knows the brand the brand is very little well known there's no brand recognition uh we make a lot of operational mistakes we have no idea what we're doing we're learning on the job <laughs> That's a lot of new business we're in a bad location yeah. you know we're not in a location where there's a lot of traffic people thought it was a private business i mean at that time was you know the square river ranch is not what it is today right right, right. Uh, at that time people still thought it was do i can i really go there and all that so it wasn't a lot of buying well it turns out the concept's not doing well. The interesting thing, that's when I meet BJ Christ, which today yep. is my my full-time business partner with social entertainment. And uh, he's in medical sales, and he shows up with his scrubs every morning, and I was like, who's this guy? And they're like eating the hummus veggie every, I don't even think we have that in the menu anymore. And he's just eating, and, and we get to know each other, we become friends. At that time, we're single, we're young, and we're, we go out and we meet other friends. And he's like, I wanna, you know, I'm medical sales full-time, but I wanna open a business. Well, he's got, I believe it was the Marbles Lab right next to Champagne's at the Oil Center. Okay. So he opens his tropical smoothie, which I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> and I'm going down, he's going up. So I close, we decide to close ours because we were not doing well. Right, right. Um, and, and, and were you partners yet or y'all were just no, individual owners? Individual. He's like, hey, do you mind if I, do you have the <laughs> franchise territory? I said, no. Uh, he's like, I want to open one, you know, and he did his own thing, you know. Okay. So, uh. Basically, he goes and opens today, you know, 13 years later, super successful. Now we're part of it, you know, but turns out that we became friends and business opportunities start rolling in in the early 2010, right? So as we're closing uh, Tropical Smoothie, the Dick's opportunity came uh, for us to manage the bar and kind of get to know how to be in that business. The Jefferson Street Pub opportunity came. We start, him and I, social entertainment taking over this businesses with other partners but being kind of the face of this business and learning kind of from this businesses already kind of had good or bad reputations we okay. learn how to just operate we learn how to engage how to lead people and that was kind of our guinea piggy businesses you know we worked hard in those businesses to kind of keep it together from falling apart or from grow, you know, growing or you know so those businesses allowed us to learn a lot in the hospitality industry and Tropical Smoothie at that time was continued to be just oil center. Yeah. And then one day, you know, when BJ and I are hot and heavy and doing a lot of stuff together, it's like, I think I'm going to take Tropical Smoothie to the next level. Do you want to make a comeback, you know? And at that time, I was still kind of like bitter about how difficult that breakup was, you know, close, <laughs> telling 30 employees that were closing the yeah, doors overnight yeah. because we're just not making it, even though we thought we we're doing great, but we're not making it. So and when did you and BJ kind of like officially tie the business? Night? Late 2010, okay. we got into our first businesses together. And was the what was the company called? So, social Entertainment. So that's when Social yeah, Entertainment it was, was birthed. It, 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 it was birthed in a way that we were like, let's put a lot of the, the things that we become involved, whatever shares we have, let's just put under this umbrella company, you know? That's how it started. So, what what made you think of the name Social Entertainment when you were just Tropical Smoothie and uh, Dicks, right? Well, we knew that we had this knack for events, right? Okay. I kind of I brought some of these ev the events that I was doing in my full time job at City Club. I was able to even leaving the club full time. The development says you're doing a good job. Do you want to continue working part time and running the Sugar Jams, the you know helping with rhythms on the river or going whatever you know the developments needed us to do. It was a source of income for me. I was passionate. So we knew that when we call it social entertainment, it was that it we wanted to be a full-service hospitality destination, right? We we have restaurants, bars. We, we provide consulting services now with John Peterson, one of our partners. 
um, mostly we consult what we the mistakes we made we teach them. You know? <laughs> well, that's that's yeah. how you yeah like most you, mistakes yeah. you know. But but, you but the company you know and now we got into development prop real estate and so we're you know social entertainment it's we kind of had this vision that was going to be this one stop shop for hospitality development for you know food and beverage operations and kind of organically worked it okay. itself out. So. so how many companies are underneath the social entertainment umbrella? We have several. Uh, you know, we have obviously the Tropical Smoothie uh, Company, uh, CR Cafes, which is Chris and Resended, and uh, we are fully engaged in growing this brand here across Tropical uh, Smoothie. Tropical Smoothie, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's our baby. We you going know, to Karen Crow? We are already in Karen Crow. We are right next to Walmart. We've been there for almost. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's yeah. right. It's God. actually one of our fastest growing I, stores. I, I totally mean, for God. Oh. Forgive me. Oh, no big deal, man. There's so many things popping up. Okay, oh, yeah. you're so right. You're already in Karen Crow. I, I, I would say three years now. Yeah. Uh, we have an amazing team, amazing manager there in Karen Crow. And you it's said one, that was one of the fastest Oh, it's one stores? of our best stores. I mean, okay. you know, we're in a great location right next to La Pizzeria right That's there. That's right. Uh, we have a location in New Iberia. We've been having it for a few years. Also a great store. And we have three locations in Lafayette. We have, you know, in one each end of Ambassador by Costco and by U.S. Yep. Landry. And we have the all center location, so that's that's one of our main drivers right now. We you know we're look, we're about to build in Maurice. Uh, we lo- like to go to Youngsville within the next year, year and a half. I'm Busan. surprised you're not in Youngsville already. Yeah, you know it's interesting because a lot is the corporate office. They they study the area, and I think there is something about Youngsville that is still that that lunch crowd still not there, right? It's right. still a very much of a city. Because everybody's where, working exactly. in Lafayette. That lives and it's there. changing. You yeah. know, you're starting to see more and more. Uh, businesses thriving during the day but lafayette is still the hub for a lot of uh young professionals that live in youngsville to drive to lafayette so tropical smoothie rely heavily on lunch business you know so yeah. uh, i think it's it's a corporate decision there but so tropical smoothie uh we have the social entertainment productions which is the event side of the business we have employees we put on po boy festival wino uh, bubbles and brunch we still work for the developers the ones that i first started working yep. for we still put on their 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 events they enhance their their neighborhoods like sugar jam we still rhythms uh, on the river is that something you we're no longer no. involved city club okay. runs that that project for quite some time now but we you know we we still very engaged in programming events you know downtown at one point uh years ago downtown wasn't hosting as many events uh, so we felt we saw a gap. We put on a lot of events downtown, as you know, like Uncle Sam's Gym, which we were doing this July 4th. But now with downtown growing so much and, and downtown development really becoming stronger than ever, they are they are doing their part of putting on programming. Yeah. So we're backing off a little bit, which is great. Uh, you know, we are involved in the downtown businesses. Social Entertainment has a stake at Central Pizza, at Tula Tacos, and a few other properties downtown that we that we are uh, the property owners and other businesses are there. Um, and we also, you know, uh, making some investments on more on the uh, on the other side of uh, Congress. You know, we're, we own a, uh, where the uh, Fighting View Fresh yep. is there. That's our property. And we're very engaged with that community. We we're very patient. You know, we want to create something special. We feel that as downtown grows uh, is going to bleed over and is going to help the other. You know, so. And then all the way to the south side of town, you know, or uh, Scott, you know, Scott's growing a lot right now. We're doing a lot of work with West Village, which yeah. is also Jordan. Part of, and yeah, part of Robert's stuff, yeah. 
So we're kind of everywhere, but our company mostly focuses on food and beverage establishments, uh, you know, development, real estate. Obviously, we, we purchased the Don's, the old Don's Seafood downtown yep. with a group of investors, an awesome group of investors. Do you guys have any, like, um, ideas of what you're going to do with it yet, or is it still kind of floating? It's, it's still very, very kind of floating. You know, we, we took control over the property late, early, early this year, I'm sorry, and... Uh, we have an awesome team. It's myself, BJ Christ, John Peterson, and Ryan Pecco. I mean, super strong team. Everybody's got their own kind of, you know, uh, qualities. And then we have a group of investors that are very community-driven that believed in our vision, which at that time was very little vision. It's like, <laughs> let's control the site. Yeah. Let's, uh, you know, Corona hits. And we're... So right now, we are working on so many different ideas in how we can redevelop or reinvent and still keep some of that amazing iconic location uh but it's a very much of a patient project for us you know we're really uh you know there's so much going on downtown right Right. now there is that you know the residential piece of downtown is finally going to come to fruition in sometime in the next six to 12 months and to us as downtown investors we're we're waiting to see the results of those investments that other people are making you know uh, LPTFA is building the Monroe, which that's going to be, I think, 45 units. Yeah, we that's have, on, that's across the Congress uh, yeah. spot. Yeah, we have EJ building, you know, re- redoing the federal courthouse, a massive, amazing project, which we're very, very excited to see that come up. You know, yeah. that that federal courthouse been sitting there for, I believe, for a couple of decades. Yeah, and there's other small developers coming and just wanting to put up cool things or or fix up certain things there's a lot of cool restaurants you know vasto just came up amazing you know it's going to change kind of how people see restaurants in this town yeah, uh, yeah so there's a lot going on so it's going back to dawn is a patient product project for us you know we uh we are we are working on some things but we're pretty much waiting to see how the market reacts uh with all the residential you know um, you think that's a two three year project or longer I think, yeah, I believe, I, you know, I, anything can happen where we can, you know, do, you know, this project will be in phases. Yep. So, you know, we could very much see some action sometime late this year, maybe next year in one portion of the project. But to see the whole vision we're looking at, a long, it's, it's a long-term project that will take many phases, yeah. you know. Um, uh, but that's, yeah, that's that's it. Downtown is it's coming up. Yeah, so it's crazy downtown, man. Uh, whenever I moved here, uh, it wasn't it wasn't anywhere near where it is today. Obviously, um, a lot of people just looked at downtown as a place to go to court, and you know they had a couple of little restaurants here and there. I think right. Tsunami's been around for yes, they were a while. They were there from the from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was like other than that. Um, I think we had the uh, the filling station was operating right. at that time. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot. I think Subway was then. then in yeah, there. I mean, look, I, I've been downtown for a little over a decade, so I'll do a disservice to everybody that started that movement by saying it's basically my opinion of where we are today, based on where we were before. You know, my my the way I look at downtown, based on all the things I've learned from uh, people that've been there before me, the goods and the bads, is that there's still a lot of people my age. You know the 
I don't even know baby boomers or don't want like I'm 1980. I don't yeah, know. What I'm, you're, yeah, you're 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 right. you're on the generation X. Yeah, I yeah. think. I don't think you're a boomer. You're there, too young yeah, to be a boomer. There's a lot of uh, friends of mine that goes like downtown used to be awesome. Why? Because their perception of being awesome is when the nightlife was kicking butt. Right. right? That was that period where, uh, you know, you have commercial and you have attorneys and bankers and then they leave. That was almost an inexistent kind of food scene. You know, you had tsunami kicking butt. But there were not many neighbors serving food and filling station. But so there is there is this kind of, uh, you know, I hear a lot from friends that they, you know, they think the heyday was Dan, but they were mm -hmm. looking only from the experiences they had. But as a whole, downtown was struggling and it, the, the, it wasn't the dots weren't connecting. What yeah. I find today interesting is that I find that all the the times of the day are starting to get filled. Right. You have you have the really cool breakfast coffee shops that creates that. 7 to 10 a.m. environment you're starting to see more retail coming and obviously businesses and architectural firms everybody's kind of coming downtown so it's kind of beefing up that lunch crowd and beefing up that afternoon now we have probably the best restaurants in the parish kind of concentrated now we have amazing restaurants everywhere right, right but i mean we have a five six seven restaurants that are really awesome in the downtown district which is creating that destination for people from all over, like all the way from New Iberia, Lake Charles. So now you're starting to see movement in the early dinner hours, right? And interesting is the bars are still there and they're now that they're back open, obviously they struggle with the right. corona. They're also still thriving. So the nightlife is still thriving and I'm sure it can, it, it, it can get better and we can do better. But now you're starting to see a more like all day long you know, we don't see those big gaps of nobody on the streets where, you know, the banker lives at five, but then the next person that comes is the college kid at midnight, right? Yeah. You're starting yeah. to see things getting filled up. So residence uh, is the most important thing we need to make sure it happens right now. We need people living downtown. Right now we have a couple dozen people truly living downtown, a few dozen, probably about 80 from what I yeah. heard. So once you start getting people living, what's going to happen is there's going to be accountability. You know, they're going to have issues. They're going to call the police department. They're going to have issues. They're going to call the city where now, you know, you're a business owner. You close the doors, you leave and downtown development tries to do everything they can to keep things moving. But without residents, you don't really have that voice. So I look forward to the day in the next year where we have a few hundred people living downtown. And I think it's really going to change. Um, and it's already happening. You know, you're starting to see people that completely refuse in investing downtown and now they're investing downtown they're buying properties you know they are because it was a tricky situation right. you know um four three and four years ago when the residential need was and it's still a need but like it was like a push to try to get residential right. started yeah. uh people were you know bucking at it saying well how are you going to get residential when there's nothing for the people that will live there Correct. to do and it's almost like uh, a little bit has to happen on each side at a exactly. same time so you need a little bit of the business growth you need a little bit of the residential growth and it all has to happen at the same time but to get it to like build momentum to start happening was the tough part yeah and, and not only comparing that but also there was that comparison that still exists you know that comparison of if you don't get rid of the bad elements I'm not coming. So it wasn't oh, just the, about the bad yeah. elements, right? So yeah. so so the interesting thing is it wasn't just about hey, give me more retail and I'll build residential. That's fair and that's valid. Or or give me more restaurants that way just or give me a pharmacy or give me a grocery store and it justifies me building 
a apartment complex. Right. All that is valid. But I do think there's also a lot of cultural and misconceptions and just the fact that we're still a small town and we are in South Louisiana and this is not about conservatism or liberal. The reality that we have a homeless population downtown. The reality that uh, 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 crime or small crime you know, may happen more often when you have thousands of people conglomerated having fun different than a regular traditional neighborhood so there are there are parts of downtown that we're experiencing that other nations experience as well that there is no such a thing in my opinion as eradication or uh, i will only do that if this changes i think once like you said it's a brick by brick on both sides you know so uh we have a ton of people that are willing to learn downtown today anywhere from the the very successful older investor to the young one that just kind of decided to move back to Lafayette and loves downtown. Everybody understands that it's not as cookie cutter as I'll move downtown if you're able to get rid of uh, this situation, right? That's no yeah, such a yeah. thing. You know, we, we got to work together and um, it's it's kind of a, a living organism that is never going to, you can you can fix it, you can, you can mold it and you can kind of try to, you know, keep it tight, but it's not it's not one or the other, you know. Um, you look at cities; they have their kind of the same struggles that downtown Lafayette yeah, has. So, yeah. but also the same wins, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of the that's what we all live with every day. You know, what's good for downtown? Not necessarily is good for you know. Me putting a specific business downtown doesn't mean it's the good for the greater good yeah. downtown and vice versa. So, there's a lot of the element, and I think what is the beautiful thing happening downtown more than ever. It's just how well people get along now. I mean, it's amazing how investors, landlords, property owners, you know, young professionals or uh, startup business owners that never had business. There's a lot of camaraderie and a lot of uh, people. Just, and I think a lot has to do with Anita, you know, has yeah. to do with her. Yeah. Anita's great. Just gel, you know, just putting people together and getting people to talk, you know. Yeah. Um, so anyways, um, that's kind of where we are. I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm conservatively optimistic about downtown. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, if there was anything that you, if you could ma- wave a magic wand over downtown or just Lafayette Parish in general, what, in your opinion, would make this city just even greater or like more about, because I know we have brain drain, you know, we still have a lack of businesses that are paying high paying, but like if you could make Wave a magic wand of over Lafayette or downtown. What would it be? What would be that thing? If Lafayette was, if about seventy five degrees year round, it would be perfect. Oh yeah, it would be the best. <laughs> I'm telling you, look, I I, t- I say this all the time. My wife hears it over and over. Like my favorite weather, and I call it Anaheim, California weather. Yeah, yeah. Like seventy five degree. Like I like that. Uh, I don't like it to be too cold. Like once it gets in the 60s, I'm starting to kind of get a little like goosebumps. But uh, look, I grew up in Sao Paulo, and you know, <laughs> with the heat and pollution is pretty tough, but the humidity is not that bad. So I don't remember growing up and being you know 100 degrees being so brutal. So humidity is worse here. Oh, it's it's. I mean, we're God. you know, it, it's that's one thing. But no, but joke aside, I think what I really would like to see, and I think it goes across the board, is that one thing that really attracted me about the states over the years is just the compromise and moderation, right? Um, I grew up with my dad always saying, look, it's things are not as, you know, simple and clean as you think. I mean, there is a way to always be more moderate and understanding people's point of views and angles. And uh, it doesn't mean that you are uh, 
you know, uh, you don't have any sort of a, you know, you don't have any conviction. It means that you're evolving. And I think to a certain extent, I think we kind of small town, local government kind of has gotten got the, in both sides, right? We've got, got the noise and, and that noise is, is not allowing us to have a conversation, you know, yeah. at times. And I think that, you know, it's gotten better. You know, I mean, we, um, we are able to do things downtown today uh, with the administration, with the council. Uh, there's a lot of support all around, but we can always do better, you know. So if there's one thing that, you know, talking about Magic One, it will be having some more real conversations um, about what's really good for us, um, you know, uh, making sure that every citizen in this parish understand the power of downtown, not just coming from a guy, well, Gus, it's easy for you to say you're making money off your business. Of course, we were. That's why we're in business, right? We're we are entrepreneurs, <laughs> but uh, is also investing on uh, things that you're passionate on, and I do think that getting people to and it's happening, getting people to understand we can still make Youngsville the coolest town is becoming, but we can continue to invest downtown. We can invest in Karen Crow. We can invest in Scott. We don't need to have just one fastest growing city in right. our We can have all of them. Awesome. As long as it helps everybody. North side developing, developing the north side properly, right? Right. With the right input. So, uh, moderation, compromise. Uh, those are words that I think kind of attracted me about coming to America. And these days, it's kind of not. It's not quite part of the dictionary. Anymore. I know. I know. But we, that's it. That, you know. Other than that, we we are very we are very lucky. You know. Uh, um, you know. I hate to say what what I would do because. Once again, I'm from Brazil. You know what they are, what my parents are facing today, with a pandemic, with the with the issues Much of that country. Much more challenging. It is no comparison. Yeah. You know, we are so lucky. We are so lucky. Um, you know, my my wife has been to Brazil several times. She gets it. You know, she understands. Uh, my friends, I have a lot of friends here that are not from. Um, I happen to have a lot of friends that are so passionate about Lafayette, and when we look at the group, nobody's from here either. So it's a very interesting. But then we have some people that are. You know. So, um, you know, reminding ourselves that we got to, you know, we can sit here on a Friday, have this discussion, um, and uh, this is not quite the same in other countries right now. So, wow. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Look, um, I want to be respectful of your time, and I, I got to be respectful of the people watching too. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking with me. I've always wanted to have a a good deep conversation with you because I'm like I I know this guy has like a story but like <laughs> like I he's busy like I need to figure out a time to like <laughs> get with him and uh, I've gotten better with my scheduling so um, uh, thanks yeah. for the opportunity thanks for allowing me to share uh, you know my experiences you know hopefully um, you know um, gets other people excited yeah. about it gets things. me excited that's all it's about you know? you know knowing that someone who's not originally from the U S comes here uh on work visas and like makes a good connection and like starts a business and then makes another connection and just you know starts a snowball it makes me feel good to know that if it can happen to someone like you it can happen to anybody yeah we have, have to we have it. some deep issues in this country but the dream american dream is alive you know you just gotta probably dig a little deeper and yes. you gotta uh but no without a doubt we have issues but uh man we have a lot of opportunities <laughs> you know so I appreciate your time. Yes. All right, Gus. Well, look, uh, hopefully maybe you and I can uh, grab lunch one day and talk some more. But uh, I really appreciate you coming on, and I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you very much, Ben. Thanks, everyone. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for watching. And uh, be sure to uh, 
Remember that we do have our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the other places that you can listen to the podcast. So check that out. Um, This episode will be on there hopefully this weekend. And with that, we'll see you guys on the next one. For information on sponsoring the Tea Podcast by Developing Lafayette, go to our website at developinglafayette.com and click Advertise.